Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. Along with me this week is Mr. Matt Disher. We do have Mr. Tim Kester getting ready to join us here shortly, but we wanted to start the podcast one time, and we'll have Tim join us here shortly. But Matt, how have you been? How you doing, sir? Good. It's been a strange, uh, strange events in the world mm. <laughs> here, mm. here, here in America. Um, but you know what? My my life has not changed. It's um, yeah. it's the same old stuff. I'm I am I'm busy in work. I enjoy what I do, and I just I keep on keeping on, as they say. Yeah, um, we record Wednesday mornings, and everyone knows that Wednesday afternoon uh, last week after we recorded that. There was the protest in Washington, D.C. that then led to people breaching and entering the Capitol building. Um, it Personally, for me, it's disheartening. It's 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 disgusting. It 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 upsets me. Um, I was I've not been a fan of anything that happened over this past summer uh, with the destruction of property, uh, the injuring or death of anyone involved in any of those things. And I'm not a fan of what happened last Wednesday either. Um, Anyone and everyone is more than allowed to have a a protest and to voice their opinions. And, and you know, at the time, I probably didn't think so. But but by God, that's really what I was doing um, by joining the, the armed forces. And that's what so many other people do is is they, they fight and give up their freedom so others can have these sort of freedoms. It's once they get taken too far into a place they shouldn't go. That's just my opinion. And there's storming a capitol building you know just isn't the way it should should have happened personally right yeah so. i agree I, I i don't think anybody uh, let's say i i don't say i don't think most people haven't uh, condemned this you know i, I think that mm. most people are in agreement this was the wrong way to do anything if you had a grievance if you had disagreements uh you know as we we say in the military you know we're, we're sworn to protect an oath and um and in many cases, that oath uh, it, it does extend beyond our uh, active duty time, um, but it also doesn't extend into doing uh, silly things that might seem like they're, uh, you know, pushing against the establishment that uh, mm. has been, you know, fairly set up. There's been a lot of a lot of information, a lot of misinformation. I am. Um, I am increasingly, and this is not just in recent years, but uh, in my old age, I'm increasingly nonpartisan. I'm increasingly mm-hmm. more objective, mm-hmm. and I find myself not taking a, a side. In fact, I, I find myself very disillusioned by the two-party system. Uh, and I'd say that what I what I notice about these events or the events of the, the whole year, let's call it that, um, I think that polarization is an all-time high in the United States. People are more and more separated from each other. Um, people are more and more disconnected, and um, I think that uh, the, the political sphere is more and more pulling to extremist poles. And I think that there's there has to be some way that we come back from this instead of the whataboutisms and instead of the finger pointing and the partisanship. Um, I do believe that we need to start looking at each other like fellow men and women, and start looking at each other like fellow Americans, and bring back those American values, which are not for us to get upset and take to the streets and destroy property. Um, that's just not the way we operate as a country. And not that I, I keep seeing on the media, hey, the rest of the world is watching. Not that I, honestly, when I sit down at, at home and drink my coffee, I don't care if the rest of the world w- watching. But I do care that 
Uh, this is the place we live. This is the place I've worn the uniform to defend this country. I grew up here. Uh, my parents grew up here and served this country. My grandparents grew up here and served this country. And it is the truly the land of opportunity. It is truly a place that you can come from nothing and have everything. Um, and I think that we need to remember that we need to stick to those guns and, and remember that the freedoms that we have and the opportunities that we have in this country is where we, it was what got us here. And we're not always going to agree, but it doesn't mean that we need to resort to violence and destruction. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, um, I would say that had things been just slightly, slightly different, if they decided they didn't want individuals to, to get into that building, uh, no matter what, it would have been a really, really bad day. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I, I think while I didn't like to see people from the Capitol building, I think that somebody somewhere made a, a call that allowed the little bit of, of damage to be done. Um, and then they took they took control and, and pushed everything back without well, yeah, really right. hurting too many people. Right. Right. And, and there's been some speculation. I've heard a lot of conversations around why did the response from the police and the National Guard look different this time from what it looked like over the summer? And uh, there are a couple of articles. Uh, noticeably, um, Army Times posted an article about the timeline of how the National Guard gets deployed. And. Um, in short, I don't have the article in front of me, but in short, it was uh, that the the, re the requests were put in, the requests have to have special approval to deploy the National Guard in the capital region um, from the Pentagon. Those requests were, they were put in late. Uh, the requests were uh, granted on time and everything happened on time. But the one difference, the big difference between the two events was that I don't think that they anticipated, this was not a crowd of people moving toward the Capitol. Um, burning things down. It was, uh, the events over the summertime took a little bit of time to, to manifest and, uh, and become a larger event before people ended up at the Capitol. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if anybody anticipated any violence or destruction in this event, but, uh, uh, it, it, I think it happened a little bit differently, but the army times, I'll try to pull up that link before we, we cut here. It explains how the, uh, the dispatch of the national guard happened that day and, and why the two incidents look different. Because I, I do think that that's a point of contention for a lot of people. They're wondering why the two things, the two sides uh, of the political spectrum look different. Again, it's a whataboutism. It's a why this party got this and that party got that, uh, which is just adding to that whole division thing. But uh, um, I'll see if I can't find any uh, any any news on that. Well, Speaking of news, I know some of the big news this week has been some of the big time lottery jackpots between the Powerball and the Mega Millions. And we, you know, the, the guest we're getting ready to have on, Tim, is a financial advisor, former Army infantryman. He hasn't been 100% clear on what exactly his job was. So Matt and I plan on really pushing him because he just, he says, target acquisition specialist. That could be a sniper. I don't know. We, we need to find these things out. But being the gentleman now holds the, the role of a, of a financial advisor, we wanted to discuss, because on military.com, the article's here, what happens when a military member hits the jackpot? So uh, Sergeant First Class Misty Bowman, a 3rd Combat Aviation Brigade 3rd Infantry Division soldier, won $2.5 on a uh, on a lottery recently. 
So while serving in the active duty military, won a big time lottery winnings. Now, if anybody was active duty, spent some time in the barracks away from home as a young man or woman, let's be honest, some of the best parties you ever went to were barracks parties. So imagine a young, you know, 19, 20, 23, four-year-old wins a nice chunk of a Powerball winnings, the kind of barracks party you could have then. <laughs> I, uh, just a, a yeah, cool 2.5 million. Imagine just yeah. being a junior enlisted person in the military mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and picking that up. Now, Tim and I were talking about this before we started, but. I was thinking to myself, you know, those days where you were supposed to be on the grinder to meet the trucks to pick you up for some sort of training op, some sort mm-hmm. of field op. We're going to 29 Palms or something like that. We're yeah. going to go there for a month and a half. Um, we're supposed to be on the grinder at zero nine because that's when the trucks are picking us up. For anybody who's been in the military, you know that uh, the military, uh, you know, one person says be there at nine. You know, Motor T says be there at nine. First Sergeant says be there at eight. Uh, lieutenant says be there at seven. So eventually you're, you're showing up on the grinder with all your gear at zero three. Um, and if you stayed up, you know, at any decent hour the night before, you've gotten four hours of sleep now mm-hmm. and you're, you have all your gear packed and you're laying out there. And I have pictures of it. I used to joke around that, um, that the, uh, the Marines were able to sleep literally anywhere that they showed up because that's what we would do. We, we'd just be waiting all the time. We'd be waiting, hurry up and wait as, as you've probably heard. Yes. Hurry up and wait. So imagine if somebody's like, all right, zero four on the grinder, we're going to meet the trucks and you've got, you're sitting on $2.5 million. Are you really going to, I mean, come on, are you really going to be there? Cause I'm, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to have that limo with the, the hot tub in the back. Take me up to 29 Palms. So right. I'm just going to ride in the hot tub the whole way up. The way. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need my, I'm going to need my helicopter to yeah. uh, down and, uh, and pick me up yeah. uh, and I'll ride my own helicopter to 29 yeah. Palms. I'm going to st- I'm going to stay in a, uh, I'm going to stay in my RV on 29 Palms. <laughs> my RV. I just, I know. And um, the article here on military.com, you can find it there. Uh, talks about Misty Bowman actually uh, continued out her career, finished her, her career in the army before uh, retiring. Um, you know, it, it mentions about some other armed forces members also winning, you know, like a, a coast guard member picked up a million in a Powerball drawing Soldier from Fort Bragg won two million that same year. I I, I would imagine that most uh, most people in the military, young young people in the military, if they won a large jackpot, probably wouldn't make the smartest decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where having a good accountant or or someone in the family that can probably guide you and say, "Hey, why don't we invest some of this money? Why don't we buy a, a property or properties, and let's let's hopefully turn this money into." A money-making opportunity. Yeah, so. I mean that's that's uh, that's what you'd hope. And there are classes in the military. There are classes that uh, that allow you to learn how to how to use your money. And, and of course, you got if you got friends who know how to what to do with your money, like TK, then I'll you know then I'll say, hey TK, what do I do with my money? But uh, we got TK on the screen now. Morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Tim. By the way, you have a fantastic name. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> great, great initials too, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Great initials. I'm, a little, I'm great sorry about this, fellas. I'm a little bit nervous. Matt told me to uh, do some do some studying, so I had to look up Ron Burgundy guy. Hey, and, uh, Burgundy. You, yeah. got the, you got the <laughs> good stats. I put something together pretty quick. Tried you to. Were, 
<laughs> you were ready to sit on that media desk and read the teleprompter. Absolutely. I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a great look. Uh, but, Tim, we were just discussing an article on military.com. Uh, uh, a, a sergeant first class in the Army won a $2.5 million jackpot from the Georgia State Lottery while being active duty. And, you know, anyone that's been in the barracks uh, area and has been to a barracks party knows that if someone of a certain age won this kind of money, the shenanigans that might ensue, um, yeah. you know, and it's probably not the smartest decision to make. There's probably better ways to uh, invest in, and and use that money. But, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have made really smart decisions and I would have done it all right. And of course, investments. Um, <laughs> Matt, was, at, if, if while the age we were at while we were serving together, you would have had the most um, obnoxious drum set. Yes. In your so, barracks room. Here's, had a here's what I would have done. Well, remember in, in, in Okinawa, how the rooms were connected with a bathroom? I yes. would have, I would have gone to the Marine Corps and I would have said, yes, I'd like to rent out the room next to me as yeah, well. I, and I'll, I, I'll pay for that room. So yeah. like I would have rented extra real estate and, and, and an extra 300 square feet of property. Yeah. And that room would have consisted fully uh, of a drum set or drum sets. Yeah. And, uh, and perhaps a wet bar. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. It had been it had been soundproofed with a drum set, a couple of guitars, some amps. Yeah, right. You started cutting demos in there. Well, it was it would be for those days when we had. The, I don't know if you remember the typhoons. We were talking about oh, yeah. this last time, weren't we? Yeah. The typhoons yeah. rolled through, and we lost power for a couple of days, and there was literally nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, the walls and the barracks were sweating. That mm -hmm. was a really weird thing to me. How humid but it was. It was. Yeah, it was so humid. But I remember just being obnoxiously bored because we go like scuba diving on the weekends and whatever else we'd do and we had nothing to do we're just locked up in the barracks for a few days and and you know if you go outside you get njp or court-martialed or something like that <laughs> yeah. um unless it's absolutely necessary but uh I'd, I'd be bored out of my mind so imagine if we had two or three drum sets and uh you know maybe maybe i'd rent extra space with my 2.5 million dollars for a generator out on the stairwell where we could have power <laughs> run into the barracks in case something happens yeah it'd be a talk of the town yeah i i one of you did have who who actually had the drum set over there? Jimmy Purcell. Okay, I knew I knew one of you had the drum set. I yeah. remember watching you all play. I just talked to Purcell the other day. We had a good good conversation. I caught up with him. Good, good, good. But, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let's get into our conversation. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Army you veteran. Yeah, Army veteran, yes, correct? Yep. Right. So when did you join? Why did you join? You know, all those questions. What what brought you to the army? So I signed up in 2003, you know, uh, like a lot of other people we served with after 9-11. It gave me a certain feeling and I felt compelled to go serve my country. October of 03, one of them signed up the debt program until May of 2004. Down to Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, I went through basic training. Went to Fort Polk, Louisiana, served with 10th Mountain Division through women's two. And uh, once I got out, Went to the University of Cincinnati, then the uh, then Xavier University, and lucky enough to find myself in the field. I I'm lucky enough to serve my client base. Awesome. Uh, so, is the Army anything like the uh, the Marine Corps, where you go in, you sign up for a recruiter, he says, "Well, we'll put you in this class, and we'll see what kind of job you end up with." Or did you get to pick your job? Uh, one of the reasons I joined the Army was uh, was 100% job selection. Okay. So I was, you know. Being really naive, I had no idea what it was like to get shot at. So 
like a lot of other people. I said, let's mm. go do this because I thought I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> and I took my ASVAB and I got a like a 97. My GT score was high enough. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? I was like, yeah. <laughs> but as far as, uh, that's one of the reasons I went in. And that's uh, probably the only reason. Uh, the the recruiters at the in the at the military station on Glenway Avenue were just better salespeople. So, uh, what what job did you go with? What did you do while you were in the army? I was in the infantry. I was eleven Bravo. Okay. Yep. Is that just a? Is that um? I don't I don't know army MOS. Is that just a regular infantryman? Uh, so there's regular infantry, and in 2006, I tried out for scout sniper platoon. So I was actually a sniper during both deployments. Oh, all right. We, awesome. we were joking around before you got yep. on the call that uh, one time, Tim, you and I went and talked to some uh, elementary school students. Remember that downtown Cincinnati a couple of years ago? We went to, to yeah, absolutely yeah. opportunity, yeah. and I think one of the kids asked you what you did in the army, and you said that you were a target acquisition specialist. And I think it was yeah. so that they wouldn't ask any more questions about. <laughs> yeah. Because every kid knows you gotta find a play. You got to find a polite enough euphemism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt was not sure. So I looked up target acquisition specialist, which apparently is a thing for the artillery uh, side. Um, mm. So I, I, you know, wanted to dig a little bit, wanted to push, see if, uh, see if you actually were a sniper or not. That's uh, that's just pretty cool. Uh, so you yeah. did a couple tours overseas then? Mm-hmm. Iraq, Afghanistan, where we're we at. Yeah, I was in uh, East Baghdad, uh, more specifically Nine Nitsan, right outside of Sadr City. Uh, while we were in Baghdad, Afghanistan, we were in Ghazni Province, uh, which mm-hmm. is miles from the Pakistani border. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your service, sir. Well, thank you, fellas. So, the so best you, decision I ever made. So, you get out of the service. Uh, the recruiter was right, you know, he's like, Hey, this really smart guy probably shouldn't be going to be an infantryman, but, uh, <laughs> you, you get out and now you get to put those smarts to work. Uh, you I'm said, not you said to- I'm smart. I'm just good at taking tests. <laughs> hey, good at test taking. That's hey, how I got through high school. Honestly, it, it's a skill <laughs> though. It is a yeah. skill to have. Um, yeah, some people just, they don't want to do the work or they're not good at doing the work. And then when it comes test time, they can just buckle down and knock them out. So, Hey. You know, it's a good good thing you're good at test taking. So, you know, you find yourself back in the uh, in the civilian sector, and uh, what kind of challenges did you face when you first got out? One of the first things I noticed when I got home was how everyone treated each other, as far as basic courtesy. I was always a firm believer in if people just said please and thank you and open doors for each other more, mm-hmm. we probably live in a better world. There was um, Coming from an environment where you have a lot of like-minded people who it gives you a sense of security because, you know, if something happens, I have someone else watching my six. Even though I'm locked in, I'm watching out for them. Knowing that I have someone else looking out for me, uh, it was always nice in the service. And when you get out, uh, sometimes it gives you the feeling is if it's, if it's you against the world, you come home, it's like, well, Sometimes we have these delusions of, I don't want to say grandeur, but maybe we think that we did certain things that we didn't and trying to reestablish our place 
in this world, more specifically the civilian world, um, it, it can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. but, um, when I came back, I didn't have my degree. Now I was, I'm extremely fortunate that uh, I was allowed to use my Montgomery GI Bill. So when you get back from the military, it's step one, do you have a degree? No, I don't. Well, I'm not going to talk to you. Right. Now, that's unfortunate. How can I, you're not going to hire me as a manager? I used to be in charge of, you know, a handful of individuals with some, uh, some, ser some serious items. But uh, part of that is possibly bringing your ego back into, bringing your ego back into check. I didn't, as you can tell, I'm still not the most eloquent speaker. Uh, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to grammar and syntax, if you can't use the correct form of to or there, it's mm. difficult to find. It's difficult to find a job. Mm. So having to come back and relearn and take an algebra class, I used to be great at math, and I'm sitting here looking at algebra. You know, in my mid twenties, uh, what is this? I've yeah. seen in a long time. So having to relearn and uh, it almost was like a strategic refresh six years behind where I should have been, but you know, we can't look at the past and wind up with things. We just take the future. Yeah. Tim, I, uh, I completely agree with the, the whole algebra thing. I have a 16 year old daughter who is, you know, doing the high school math and stuff. And I guess two years ago, she had her first algebra class. Hey, I need some help with this. I was always good at math here. Let me, let me help you out. Oh no, there's letters. Oh God. What are we doing? <laughs> I can do the numbers math still. I don't. Oh, so I, I had to kind X of rework with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this X shouldn't be there. Just get rid of that one. Let's do the rest of this. Right, yeah. yeah but, <laughs> oh, we got new math. There's a new way to do this. Yeah. Like, what, uh, what, what, was wrong, what was wrong with the old way? Uh, well, you I, you yeah. brought up something before, Tim. <clears throat> Tim, Tim Kester. Sorry, there's two of you. Yeah. We should get another Tim on the call. You can't even really say, like, hey, TK. We should, right? right. <laughs> um, and, and that was, you didn't have your degree. I didn't have my degree when I left the military either. And uh, I experienced mm -hmm. that. I, I, I always joke around that I probably applied to a thousand jobs and I get, oh, I didn't get terrible. a single callback. And, and this is back before there was LinkedIn. There was, this was back before there was social networking or Facebook or any of these other places. So when I see people complaining about that today, hey, I applied to this job and didn't get a call. I'm like, well, I mean, how many doors did you really bang on? Because there's a lot of other opportunities to go banging on doors. But back then, um, Geez, I mean, even six years ago, let's call it beyond six years ago, LinkedIn wasn't really even adopted by a lot of people, uh, particularly in the military. Probably even four years ago, the military hadn't largely adopted LinkedIn for the power and, and, uh, and purpose that it has now. But the same thing happened to me. I was a combat engineer in the Marines, blowing things up and shooting guns. And I put that on a resume and didn't have a degree and nobody wanted to talk to me. There was, there was no execution for me. There was no way to plug into, to anything. And so, uh, I came out and was a bartender for a little while. The Jeff Ruby's restaurants here in Cincinnati hired me like day one, which was a great opportunity, good money. But beyond that, when I went to go try to get a job in an office or something like that, it wasn't happening. Nobody wanted me. So it's a, a whole, that's a conversation that we continue to have and it continues to happen today in employment is, oh, you don't have a degree? Well, I can't bring you on. Well, what about the five or six or eight, 10, 12 years of military service that prove that I have had more classroom time than your average bachelor's degree candidate? I have, I have more dedication to a program. I've probably suffered through more things than 
just a rough day at work. What else do I need to prove myself? So just wanted to throw that little piece in there. The same thing happened to me, Tim. Uh, and I hear it from just tons of other veterans as well. May I, may I add something? May I jump in here real quick? Of course. So one of the reasons we find ourselves in certain positions or certain environments is because sometimes we're acclimated to be in that situation. It's easy. It was easy for me to shoot, move, and communicate. That's just, it's easy for me. Mm-hmm. Formatting a spreadsheet and this and that, that's difficult. It was really difficult for me. So I believe if veterans took on more of a, is more of a challenge. Like, wait a minute, this is how business is done back in the civilian world. I'm going to learn how to put a spreadsheet together. I'm going to learn how to properly format resume. I'm going to learn how to do something that I haven't learned how to, something I haven't learned to do before. Like, I don't, if you go do 120 pushups in two minutes, who cares? Go do that in front of the next hiring manager, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's not going to, it's not going to close business. That doesn't work. That doesn't. I, I personally recently was having a discussion with. I tried it. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. Look at how many pushups I could do. Look, oh, are yeah, you listen, listen, I know. I know nothing about these spreadsheets. Forty-one. Did you count them? Yeah. I went all the way down. I went all the way down. Like, do you even then, go all the way down? And then even worse, the hiring manager is sitting there going one, 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 yeah. one. <laughs> one. Come on, nasty. Extend the elbow. Pulls out the metro. Pulls out the metronome. You're like, yeah. oh. Right. You didn't go all the way oh, down. Lord. Start over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like your rhythm. <laughs> right. Right. I know. Um, I know. Personally, uh, recently, I was having a discussion with a hiring manager. I have college credits. I never actually finished the degree. Um, mm-hmm. So I just kind of inquired to a to a recruiter about a job. Just, hey, I'd like to mm-hmm. have a conversation. Learn a little bit more about the company in this position. Uh, they meet their uh, immediate shoot back was, "Hey, we're looking for someone with this degree. Do you have that degree?" No, I do not have that degree. I said, but my time in the military and my time in a, in a management role over these you know X amount of years, I would guarantee you, I am more than qualified for this position. And given the opportunity, I'm sure I could succeed. And uh, that got me that next step. And and it's not always going to work that way. But you know, don't don't be down on yourself because you don't necessarily have that degree. We had uh, Jeff Hancher on the uh, on the podcast, you know, a couple months back, who said. Oh, yeah. you know, for the longest time, him not having the degree was something that was mm-hmm. a hang up for him. And, and, you know, when he'd sit in front of a, a, a you know, sit in a board meeting and people would start introducing themselves and, hey, I'm a UConn graduate. I graduated with such and such degree. I'm a Syracuse graduate. And then it get to him and, oh, I went to such and such high school. It's OK. Um, oh, yeah. Just just remember to to let them know, hey, this this is what I did in the military and I, I've proven myself here. And I know if you give me this chance, I I, I can go and do this as well. So it's not the I end all be all. Tim, I think that sheds light on. I don't know how Tim universities one. It was an unbelievable school. The staff and the faculty, how they treated me was I, I'll be in debt to that university, you know, uh, for, for quite a long time. How much did I actually learn at Xavier above and beyond, you know, what I already knew? Because I believe people have a certain level of aptitude, right? You have aptitude and you can build off of that. A degree is just a data point. It's just, again, I, I went to class, put out a paper. You can get these the whole time and you're still going to get a degree. Hmm. The whole hang up on degrees, I believe, is an issue from... Uh, of the corporate sector and why they make it a requirement. 
but then we can get on the discussion of, wait a minute, you need to have tuition payments continue to roll in, and one begets the other, and then you begin to hamstring the next generation with loads of debt and service. Mm-hmm. That's going to inhibit their financial success going forward. And that, I think that's the real, it's the real issue. Right. And, and I'll even I'll add some flavor to that because this is my world. You know, the hiring the hiring space is, is my world. And, and we talk about diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how it's not uh, it is not as good as it needs to be in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the diverse ranks. Uh, one of those conversations is that when you require certain types of degrees, you are then essentially in a in a roundabout or indirect way requiring a certain pedigree of people in your mm-hmm. office, which then excludes a ton of other people and disallows diversity in the workplace. And so there is a larger conversation happening there as well. Um, you know, one of the things as we're talking about veterans and military, one of the things that, that we've seen over the course of the last, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years due to legislation. And, you know, I sat in front of a congressional panel one time and testified as a, as a subject matter expert on post-military hiring with the, the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, and one of the comments that I made in that in that testimony was that uh, corporate America is slowly adopting the idea that four years plus of military service is is equal to a four year dedication to a, a degree program um, with just as much, if not more, classroom or learning experience time. Um, it's just that in those classrooms in the military, you're not learning subjects. If you think about virtually any college degree. Half of your subject matter are the electives. They're the items that, I mean, they're not really pertinent to your degree program. Mm-hmm. They are, they are mm-hmm. items that, you know, you could pick up by watching Discovery Channel. And I, I don't want to discount, you know, I enjoyed my education too. I enjoyed, I went to Northern Kentucky University. I enjoyed that college. I enjoyed my professors. I enjoyed the time there. Uh, but a lot of what I learned was stuff that in my own personal experience, I already knew. And so, mm-hmm. Some of the conversation, anyway, back to the, the, the point, some of the conversation around diversity and inclusion of, of, of different groups, different genders, races, ethnicities in the workplace, you are, if you're a hiring manager and you played football in college and you're like, you know what, I know that I did well in this, so I'm going to go look for other people who played football in college just like me, you end up hiring yourself over and over and over again. And then you run into these companies that have, again, the same pedigree in them and they they experience a financial crisis or a, an existential crisis about uh, what their business is supposed to be. And they find that they don't have enough diverse thinkers at the table because they hired themselves over yeah. and over and over again. They hired the same guy from the same school playing the same sport a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I'm, Matt, you brought it up about not wanting to take anything away from the education and, you know, spending four years in the military, spending four years in a, in a college You've shown dedication. I mean, one's going to end up costing you unless you have some sort of scholarship. One's going to cost you a lot more money, obviously, but you, you've still shown the dedication. And I'm taking nothing away from, from anyone that decides to go to college and, and pursue an education. Um, but yeah, your, your classroom time in the military shows you are in a classroom learning something for a job that you're going to do mm-hmm. and that you're going to go out and have to have to prove that you can do that job. Uh, in a, in a, you know, no fail environment, a classroom in a, in a college, like you said, you're going to have some electives. We always talk about the underwater basket weaving. You right. could take that as an elective. 
never, ever, ever do that in your life, but you got a college credit for it. Personally, I'd, I'd like the individual that's shown they can put the classroom time in that is pertinent to the job and the tasks they're going to have to do. And then they then can take that classroom time and go and turn it into wins and success because that's the individual that, uh, you know, if, if I have the option between two individuals, one has the college degree and one has a real world experience uh, from the military and I bring in the military individual, he has that, that pass that shows if I start teaching him how to do this job, he's shown that he can take this. Uh, this learning and this education, and then go turn it into successes and wins. And as a business mm -hmm. owner, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for wins. I'm looking for profit. So that's just my personal opinion. Right. But so TK, you get done at Xavier University. You watch uh, Villanova stomp all over them year in and year out on the basketball court. <laughs> Let's Come on, Nova. I have to. It's Big East basketball, baby. And um, <laughs> he's like, oh, my connection's getting bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, uh, I love Xavier. Good, good, good school, good college, great basketball. Hey, they beat Nova once. They, they got him once. They, they did. Actually, uh, <laughs> I, I really, I mean, they have roughly the same color scheme as as Nova. So when I watch yeah. uh, Xavier school. playing anybody else, it's hey, they look a lot like Nova. I'll root for them. Um, <laughs> so you get down at Xavier, uh, you find yourself in the in the financial world, right? Hmm. Not necessarily. So, I, okay. well, the first time I ran into Matt when I got out, I was working for a freight brokerage firm over on the east side of Cincinnati while I was kind of figuring out what was next. Uh, my sister, she works at a, uh, a national wire house. She said, well, I'm in the business. And I used to think I used to have a certain perception of people in finance. And she's like, you love to help people and you're great at solving problems. So I go to, go to Morgan Stanley and it's it's a different, completely different world. You know, I have a, a blue collar background, just wearing suits and ties. And what do you do with this work? What do you do with that spoon? Uh, it sounds like a really silly issue, but uh, if if it's something again you're not used to, and you're trying to close business, and you're just a learning experience. So, uh, yeah, I had to pass a couple of tests, and I apologize because I couldn't. I cut you off, man. Oh, God. No, I cut Tim. I cut you off. So you said yeah. after Xavier. Oh no, no, it's all it's all good. Um, so you said you go to Morgan Stanley. You start having to pass some exams to get into the financial world. Um, yeah. You had some of that real life um, learning experience of, hey, these are situations I've never been in before. Let's figure these things out. Um, oh, and it's. Go ahead. Uh, compared to compared to any field problem, uh, it was probably some of the most difficult time I've I've dealt with. Yeah. You know, when you're trying to learn something new, and it's uh, it's your your livelihood depends on it. Yeah. When your livelihood depends on it, it's, hey, here's the deal. When I was in the service, I could I could step on my Peter and go you know go down to the local entertainment establishment, spend my whole paycheck come back i'm gonna have a uniform i'm gonna have three meals a day i'm gonna have everything i need i can go make bad decisions they're gonna be taken care of yeah because when you're out here make bad decisions or you're not planning correctly that can it can get real bad real quick and uh it was tough real tough yeah there's there's no parachute left once you're outside of the armed forces like you said if you go out and blow payday you go out and blow that entire check day one 
in two weeks I get another one. And until then I have a, a free room that's heated or hopefully air conditioned and there's a shower and a toilet and a sink and I have free food over here at this wonderful building and I can go to the gym and you know. Mm. Yeah, you, you get out and you uh you get that paycheck and blow it in one day. Guess what? Your bills are still coming. You still need gas for your vehicle. You're gonna need food and all those things cost money. So let's let's mm. talk about let's let's go let's back about back up about the uh the winning two two point five million dollars while you're serving in the military. Tim mm. Tim Kester, what would you have done as a 19-year-old with $2.5 million? What, what should we have done with that money? At 19. Let's talk about it at 19. At 19. So there's two separate questions. What would 19-year-old Tim Kester have done? Yeah, I'd like to hear what 19-year-old Tim Kester would do, and then I'd like to hear... Can I jump into, what, do I jump into DeLorean right now with my current brain, or is it old-school Tim who would go blow it on just garbage and nothing? I want, I want 19-year-old Tim's answer to, hey, 19-year-old Tim Kester, here's your check for $2.5 yeah. Give us the Give us both. Give us first... Yeah, what, I want to hear what 19-year-old Tim does, and then today's Tim does. And then today's 20, no older than 25-year-old Tim Kester would, would do. <laughs> oh, I would have had a handful of cars. Um, boy, I don't know how many girls would have lived in the house I would have bought, but I probably would have bought it down in, uh, you know, somewhere real nice, like overlooking the Ohio River, because you know, because that is nice. But I, I probably would have blown it on uh, probably an island, and uh, nice. Probably ran into some probably some interest issues. I probably would have been able to cash flow it for three months, and I'd have been a killer ninety days though, man. It would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Promise, I promise you that. <laughs> but uh, the, the current Tim Kester, what he would do at, as a certified financial planner, one of the things that we're required to do is we need to take inventory of a client's assets and liabilities. And clients that have a plan in place, they have a higher probability and propensity for success moving forward. And one thing, how I equate this to individuals that have military experience, such as yourself, how many times did you guys go outside the wire and there wasn't an op order constructed? You ever went on a mission? How many times was an op order not pitched to you and your men? Never. Yeah, never. If you go on outside the wire, you have some sort of mission. You have some sort of, this is our plan. This is what we need to execute. Yeah, situation, mission, execution. Yep. You know, service support, command and signal. You have all these different all these different bullet points, the commander's intent. What do we need to accomplish with this? Mm -hmm. If 25-year-old Tim Kessler got $2.5 million, Having a plan in place is the most impactful and important decision I could have made. Finding out where I want to go and how I'm going to get there, it's extremely important. Once you have these ideas memorialized, it's, it's, it's the process of writing them down and looking at them, implementing them. There's so many people that they're not able to live their best lives because they have not schematically drawn this out. I'd love to go to Hawaii, I'd go on and so forth. Well, Mr. Mr. Plant, have you sat down and how much would that cost? I've done that before. Okay. Figure that out. How much would that cost? How would we get there? One begets the other, and it's a complex dynamic system. It continues to build as you go forward. But if you just put it in your checking account and say, well, we'll just see what happens, it might not be the uh, the Tim, that's a that's a great point. And I think that's not just financially. I think that's with with life goals as well. Um, you know, where do you want to do? What do you, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Write that big goal down. And guess what? There's about, you know, 15 
rungs on that ladder to get to to where you want to be. So just start picking them off one at a time. Where mm-hmm. with a, with a financial thing like that, I want to go to Hawaii, or I want to buy this house in in this area, and those houses cost X amount of dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money. How do we get to that point? So let, let's let's talk about. I know Matt and I seem like we we kind of had a, roughly the same plan, and that was we're going to save a couple clams, and then we're going to get out and just kind of wing it, see what happens when we get out of the military. Um, mm-hmm. So I think. I would guess that's kind of the majority of individuals getting out of the service is we're going to save up a couple thousand dollars and we're going to go home and we're going to just kind of figure it out. Hope it works out. All figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're still young. You're coming out of that service where that parachute is is right there (laughs) to protect you. You you feel safe. You're around like-minded people. Uh, You know, the real world really isn't real to you yet. And you probably as that young person don't come out of there with probably the best plan, if any plan at all. So let's, let's pretend we're sitting in front of a, a classroom full of these uh, 22, 23 year old uh, young adults that are getting ready mm-hmm. to go out and they have five to 10 grand saved up. And uh, you know, what would you say financially is probably the best way to go about this? Hey gentlemen, one second. I lost my uh, lost my headset. Okay, Matt, were right. you in that same boat? Twenty five. Yeah. Okay. Where you saying? Go ahead, Tim. If you. Uh, Tim, I was asking like if we're sitting in front of a classroom full of 22, yeah, 23 Tim. years old, we're having technical dif- difficulties. Yeah. So, Matt, let's let's talk about this a little bit. If you know, if you could go back and talk to young Matt at that stage and you had your five, 10 grand in your pocket and knowing what you know now, what would you suggest you do? I would have saved more money. I would have, um, not spent my money on put, trying to put my social life back together. That's what I did when I got mm-hmm. out. I had, you know, five or 10 grand in the bank. And, uh, and I, I came back home and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the bars and the restaurants and go, you know, live life for a little bit. And that's fine. But it was all for for nothing. It was this futile effort to 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 pick up on something that I had missed already, or that I felt that I had missed. So I was trying to, you know, catch up with the Joneses in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not have friends at the time who were in any sort of financial. I, I didn't have people that I could have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, leaned upon for advice. I didn't know anything about investments. In fact, it wasn't until I read. You know, a, a number of years ago, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that I really started to start thinking about money differently. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, Tim mentioned this before, uh, assets and liabilities and taking account of those and, and, and understanding what makes you money and what doesn't make you money. Um, I didn't think like that. And, and, and largely, you know, I talk about this with my own son. Um, my parents did not my parents did not, uh, we didn't have that conversation as a kid. We didn't talk about investments and money and things like that. It was just sort of this idea that if I work hard, I'm going to have money. You know, if I go work hard and, you know, put in my, my effort and get a good job, we'll have money and that'll be okay. Uh, I'm a lot more savvy these days about those things. Um, you know, the careers have been good and, uh, also the financial planning piece has been good, but that's largely because, you know, my wife and I had to put a little bit of effort into it, but, um, yeah, 23 year old me didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. I had no, uh, you know, a good purchase to me was I'm going to go find this new jacket for $300 at, you know, Nordstrom. And that's a good purchase. 
dumbest thing I could have bought, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I still, every once in a while, I still make a purchase like that where I'm like, I, I really did not need whatever this item was. This was stupid. Um, but you live and you learn. Uh, and now I, I, I do seek information. I seek with the advent of social media and, you know, if we're going to use social media, social media for the positives, it is gaining information, real valuable information on how you can do things. And, you know, we were talking about Bitcoin and stuff before we went live and how some people are like super wealthy off of that or perceivably super wealthy. Um, you know, it's just understanding what those things are and what they aren't. And uh, if you're not seeking information, you have no idea what they are or what they aren't. Yeah. I don't know. TK, I don't know if you're. Yeah, I think, I think we got him back. I'm good. You got me? Yes, yeah. sir. Absolutely. So, yeah, same same question to you. You're in front of this classroom, a bunch of 23, 24-year-olds getting ready to get out of the armed forces. Uh, they have a couple thousand dollars in their pocket. Well, what as a, as a person that deals in finance now, what would you say to these young individuals about that? You know, they don't have, they're not retiring on five or $10,000, but they have a little bit saved up. What would you suggest to be their next move? Where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Where do you want to be in 25 years? Until you start having that discussion, it's it's really tough to scheme out uh, an optimal plan. Mm -hmm. It's, well, okay, for instance, uh, Tim, I got $10,000. What kind of stock should I buy? Well, you have $10,000 in credit card debt. All right, yes, I do. Pay off your credit card. You're going to make more net-net in the long term if you pay off your credit card. As far as generating wealth, because that's what the end game is with mm -hmm. all. Having a plan in place and ensuring that it's simple. Understanding some of the, the nuances of, of, of wealth. So if I asked you to, what is your most important asset? Tim, what's your most important asset? My house. Matt, what's your most important asset? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the same thing, but I know that that's probably the wrong answer. It shouldn't be your house. It's well, my it's, face, TK. It's my face. Tim, your voice. Matt, your face. What you guys do is how you generate, how you generate a living, how you earn income. Your most important asset, and this is. When we're 26 years old and we're barrel-chested freedom fighters, you know, we're invincible and, you know, we we got the world, you know, by the short and curlies and there's nothing that we can't do. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to live until I'm, I'm 85. Nothing's going to happen to me. Um, you have X amount of earning years, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to be smart during those earning years. And one of the caveats to that is if there's anyone that you care about that you're providing for and something happens to you, ensuring that they're taken care of. So insurance is always part of the discussion. Monitoring your cash flow is always part of the discussion. I would always, first thing I would tell these young uh, men and women, if determine what your living expenses are going to be going forward, make sure you have three to six months of living expenses and then checking your savings account and anything above and beyond that, we can talk about investing. But if you don't have that emergency reserve, you don't have that you run into something bad. You run into COVID happening in 2020. Then you're sitting there and you're trying to pay rent. Maybe there's no legislation that comes through. Well, I mean, it's uh, that could be pretty bad. Yeah. And who cares if you risk down the stock market if you're not able to meet your day-to-day -day needs? Yeah. And that's that's the I mean, that's the conversation we we have in my household is 
when we purchase things, for example, our house, we've talked about maybe moving before. Mm-hmm. Um, when we purchase anything, the, the question that we ask ourselves is, can we afford, if one of us lost our jobs, can we afford our lifestyle? Can we continue to, to afford our lifestyle? And if the answer is no, then we don't, we don't do it. We don't, we don't make that investment or we don't make that purchase, whatever that is. So, you know, uh, I think we saw this in 2008, 2009 mm-hmm. and, and TK, you're going to know a little bit more about this, but like the, with the different variables that what happened, but it was my understanding that like a lot of people had, uh, you know, houses that they just simply could not afford. And when the economy collapsed, a uh, number of things happened, obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the adjustable mortgage rates went up. And, yeah. So somebody's paying, you know, $2,000 a month on their, on their huge house and suddenly they're paying more than that. But then also, if one person lost their jobs, they were, I mean, they were what you call house poor. They were, they were just barely able to pay the bills because they were living in a, a micro mansion or something like that. So be underwater. Of, yeah. 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 We, we talk about that a lot. You know, again, we've made foolish pur- purchases, uh, when we had a little bit of excess, but at the same time, we're very well aware and conscious of can we, if something horrible happened tomorrow, can we support ourselves? Can we continue to pay the bills? And the answer is always yes. Uh, and, and, and the reason why the answer is not no is because we simply don't put ourselves in that position. There is, Matt, I, th- so there's, I, I keep hearing, I keep hearing a couple items. But I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm pretty clear on this. There's a, you can go out, you can go get a shelter have, you know, in a poncho mm-hmm. and just live on ramen. And live a super Spartan lifestyle and just accumulate pennies and just build all this up. And right. They're, they're not enjoying your life at all. If that jacket that you wanted to get at Nordstrom and you're taking your girlfriend, wife out to dinner, there's certain things that you need to do on the day in and day out to make sure that you can make life a little bit more bearable than it, than it is at times. Right. And part of that is what allows for that is coming up with understanding what discretionary income versus non-discretionary income lights on in the house. We keep food in my stomach then everything above and beyond that is entertainment. But if you sit there and you just, you just hoard and you count everything, you're going to hate your life and everyone probably won't. So make right. sure you find the balance. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. And that's, and that's the thing. It's, it, it, it is. And there's ways to do that in a budget. Right. I mean, there's ways to do that. There's ways to enjoy life and do things. Everything doesn't have to cost a million dollars. You know, mm-hmm. everything doesn't have to be. And that is, you know, we could get into a whole other conversation about consumerism and I've got to have the fresh new shoes and the fresh new purse and stuff like that, that, that people, everybody thinks they have to have. You know, if you I've talked about this a lot. And, you know, again, I'm not a financial expert, but the reason why people 50 years ago, families had one household, uh, one car to a household one job and you were able to support that is if you think about the average household today, like in my house, it's two parents and a kid. We have four TVs in our house. We have Wi-Fi. We have uh, all of the streaming services. We have two cars in the driveway. We have all these things, all these premium things that people didn't have 50 years ago. We have two phones, uh, phone, mobile phone service. You know what I mean? People 50 years ago, when my parents were growing up, they didn't have mobile phones. They didn't have Wi-Fi. They didn't have the cable bill. They didn't have all these things. So if you think about the some of these things, people are like, well, I need a new phone. I'm going to go spend $1,000 on the brand new phone. Well, you don't need a $1,000 phone, especially mm-hmm. if you can't afford it. Stop trying to stretch your limits. You're living beyond your means. 
Uh, and that's when you think about this, and TK, this is probably the conversation you have a lot with people. Buy the $500 phone instead. Take the other $500 you would have spent on the $1,000 phone. Invest that. And that $500 in two years is now $1,000 or in 10 years, it's $1,000. But you do that exponentially with tens of thousands of dollars. And then when you're 55 years old, you're like, well, I can retire now. Mm-hmm. And I have all this money in the bank because I didn't make frivolous, silly purchases along the way. Just no, I, I do that daily. Finding gaps in present value, future value. This is what right. this decision right now, this decision is going to equal this down the road. Mm-hmm. For instance, last week, $143,000 difference over 20 years, which equates to 27, approximately $27,000 today. It's the equivalent of finding about $27,000 on your mattress. Right. Which is, it's pretty, it's, it, it can be pretty impactful when you think about it. But part of it is thinking, well, wait a minute. Do I need this new phone? How, I, do I need to go on vacation? And why am I going on vacation? And if I, if I, if I start getting on a tangent, guys, because I'm, I'm, I am very passionate about this. And I, if I do, please stop me. Why am I going on vacation in the first place? Am I going on vacation so I can put it on Facebook and have all my friends say, well, look where we went and look at the pictures of all of us. And then it just turns into, it's like a contest of genuine people Mm -hmm. and they're not being true to themselves. And all you're doing is further inhibiting. So you have a picture of the family, right? And you're showing everyone and we all got matching outfits on and we're on Hawaii and we all got lays on and, we're putting this perception that this is what this family looks like. And I don't know if it, if it is actually like that or if it isn't, but sometimes decisions can be made that I want to put this image forward of our family. And in reality, you are inhibiting your family's ability to do a lot of things that they could do down the road because you're making short-sighted decisions. And wait a minute, if, my son's friend had these shoes and if he doesn't have those shoes, then it's like, I'm not providing for my kid. Now, right. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any children of my own. I don't know what it's like if a kid comes home from school and says this and that. And, uh, I don't know at what point I would stop. Mm-hmm. And they're making fun of my shoes, you know, but it's, I, I think a lot, I think there's a lot of truth inside of that. And, it comes down to a lot of self-image problems. It comes a lot of, uh, and a lot of people aren't comfortable with the skin that they're in. And we constantly try to project image of people who are not. And I mean, if you're in Eastern philosophy and you examine it more closely, we essentially project the image. That's the inverse of who we are internally. So Tim, um, you know, I think, for most people, when they think of investing, they think they have to have ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to start investing. It, that's not true, correct? I mean, you can yeah. start investing with with much less, really, and Absolutely. start building from there. Um, yes. What are What are some, of, in your opinion, what are some of the best resources out there? Like, uh, is I know there's like robo investors. You can download an app it'll say hey you know we'll take your spare change from every purchase and drop it into a bucket or or hey this is a hot stock or hmm. what, what are some of the, the the best in your opinion like low cost investment opportunities for people out there to just get started well it's I, to be honest with you tim i'm not i'm not an expert when it comes to mm-hmm. low cost providers of 
financial services. Okay. One of the, I'm, a, I'm a premium provider okay. of financial planning. If sometimes you get what you pay for, and just because something is cheaper than the alternative, it doesn't mean it's better. I would say if, as far as resources available, read Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Start to understand some of your own maybe behavioral finance hangups. Half of what we do as financial advisors and financial planners is we it's behavioral finance. Panicking at the bottom. A lot of clients, they get out. That's the worst time to get out. Or you want to get in at the top. And it's the worst time to get in. Um, but understanding endowment bias. Why do I think these shares of Procter & Gamble are worth more than they are? Just because my dad gave them to me? Just because my grandma gave them to me? Um, I think my collector car is worth X amount because I spent so many hours on it every Sunday. And it's immaculate. And I put so much sweat equity into it. I think it's actually worth it. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a thought policy. That's a thought issue. And once we start recognizing some of our own kind of thought pattern discrepancies, uh, you're able to accelerate maybe the building of wealth. Because it seems more, uh, it, it becomes more apparent. It's like paying off your credit card. If you're paying 15% interest on your credit card and you got a stock that's going to make 12% a year, what do you do? 12%, that's great. Yeah. But you're also paying 15, so you're losing 3% the other you're way. You're also losing the carriers, see? That's the whole the game. Awesome. So should I, uh, should, I get, should I not invest in Enron and Radio Shack and things like that? Um, <laughs> Enron, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that book, that was what, Thinking Fast and Slow? Is that what the one? Uh, thinking Fast, Thinking Slow Daniel, uh, by Daniel Kahneman. Okay. It's System 1, System 2 thinking uh, to put a Quick example and, and how this can apply to your everyday life. So you're a caveman, right? You're sitting there, you're in your cave, and you got your buddy, Matt. Me and Matt, we're going to go out hunting. Matt grabs his club. I grab my club, and I got my rocks. Matt walks out, and I see a shadow. Shadow is moving behind him, and then, man, it smushes him. Or saw a shadow and then matches Matt died. So I go back in my cave. I go back out, ready to go back out in my hunting party. And I see a shadow. I see that same shadow, but it's a bird, it's a bird flying overhead. But I recognize the shadow as some kind of trigger point hmm. that was not we assume more as humans on the back end. We assume we know how everything's gonna end. Unfortunately we don't how life is. Right. I did, I wanted to bring the book back up in case somebody could catch it the first time. Um, yep. uh, so we're almost at an hour now. Uh, Tim, sorry we had the technical difficulties there in the middle, but uh, you know, great talking to you, sir. Appreciate you, and once again, thank you for your service and everything you've done. Is there, uh, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we get out of here? Um, in the event that if. Uh, I'm willing to extend my time and my services complimentary basis to those that have served this country. In the event that you two know anyone who does need help, I'm always here for you. That goes to your listeners and that goes to anyone else who 
and, and, and we can find you on LinkedIn. That's right. I, I see a bunch of your uh, content on LinkedIn all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so can people reach out to you there? Yes, sir. Awesome. Tim, it's Tim Kester, K-O-E-S-T-E-R. Just for uh, for anybody listening, Tim Kester, K-O-E-S-T-E-R on LinkedIn. So, Tim, thank you very much for joining us. Matt, you got anything before we get out of here, sir? Nothing here. I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week, and we'll see you next time. Everyone be safe. Thanks again, fellas. Absolutely. Hey, don't be storming any, uh, uh, you know, public buildings, any any government buildings. Stay out of the spotlight. Be safe. Take care of each other. Can I say, can I say something to end? Can I say yeah, something yeah. to end on that yeah. thought? Everyone, everyone be good. And just because things don't turn out a certain way, we have to hold ourselves differently. And we hold ourselves up to a different standard than the rest of civilians do. Mm -hmm. So just because things don't go our way, it doesn't mean we quit being an American. Yeah. Right. Don't try to fit because you're because you're you know blue team lost or your red team lost. It's yeah, okay. Too bad. It's too bad. You know yeah. what I mean. It's so okay. flag and just be a good person and watch out for everyone. Yep. Take care, gentlemen. Yep. Absolutely. Take care of each other. Wear your mask. Wash your damn hands, everybody. Stay safe. Stay clean. You can check us out on all the social media sites. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us a rating and review. The ratings and reviews. Help us get to more ears and more eyes. We appreciate you guys so very much for checking us out. And until next time, we'll see you right back here on Beyond the Wire podcast.